Our scripture reading tonight is again Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin the reading tonight at verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter, and our focus will be on verses 23 through 25. 23 through 25. It's on page, well, I don't see it here, what page it's on, and was listed this morning. Maybe I can find it. 1380. So we begin the reading in Hebrews 10 at verse 19. Listen now to God's holy word. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment, do you suppose, will be he thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward." For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And notice his exhortation in verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. May the Lord bless this reading and our hearing of his word this evening. 
Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I said to you this morning that in this passage, uh, the preacher, he calls it a letter at the end of the book of Hebrews, but it's a word of exhortation in the form of a letter from a preacher. And he's a preacher who's very keen and aware of what's going on in the congregation to whom this word of exhortation is being written. He's burdened by the fact that though they had begun well, in fact, he commends them for the way when they first believed and they were met with opposition, they remained steadfast. Can you imagine? They were willing to part with their worldly possessions because they were persuaded that what they had in God and in Christ, the new and better country awaiting them, was worth whatever it might cost. But in whatever way it came to his attention, he was now receiving word that the congregation was lagging. They were beginning to swerve in the course. They started out fast and did well in the early beginnings. But as I think it's Kevin DeYoung once wrote, the Christian life is a slog. It's not a quick sprint. Boom, it's done. It, it's more like a marathon. And when you run a marathon, you've got to be steady in the course. You have to be disciplined. You have to do all that is needed in order to ensure that you finish the race. And that's why, as we saw this morning, he begins in this Passage in verses 19 through 25 to sum up his word of exhortation to this church by reminding them of what they have in Christ. They have nothing less than by the blood of Jesus, something none of their fathers, no member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ under the Old Testament economy had ever known. They knew that new and better promise that comes by the blood of Jesus, that through Christ and his priestly work, we can be confident that God the Father, for the sake of Christ his Son, our merciful and faithful high priest, will always receive us and therefore Enter into his presence with boldness. And as I suggested to you this morning, if you could perhaps come up with something better, a promise more precious, a truth more glorious, than that the living God delights to receive me, holds out his hands to me in Christ, And better than any earthly father or mother delights when I run into his presence, now and always, then tell me what it is after the worship service. But now in the words of our text this evening, 
he comes to a further set of exhortations. In the light of the reality of the gospel, he wants to urge them on, as he puts it in verse 23, let us hold fast, don't let loose, don't let loose your grip on what you've been given in Christ. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for the God who promised is faithful. He will do it. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, my theme tonight is the privilege of, by the blood of Jesus, entering into God's presence comes with a corresponding obligation to take the opportunity to do so, and to do so in the company of God's people, in the fellowship of the body of Christ, the household of faith, and to do so even as you assemble together as the people of the Lord to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, the first thing I'd like us to consider this evening is how needed this was. I've alluded to this. I've mentioned it in general. But when the author says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, there's this little phrase, as is the manner of some. Now, you might read that a little bit loosely as, well, it's the manner, or the word is ethos. It's that characteristic pattern of the life of some of you. to forsake the assembling of ourselves to, together. The point is, it appears, that when the congregation to whom this sermon was preached was called to assembly, increasingly people were missing. The brothers and the sisters previously in the company of the whole congregation as it assembled were absent, and apparently without notice. They didn't have COVID-19 or some legitimate reason, perhaps, to absent themselves from the assembly. The implication is, as the going got tougher, they didn't get tougher they began to absent, abandon. It became increasingly the ethos, the manner, the practice of members of the congregation. Now, in a much more broad and comprehensive way, the author of Hebrews also suggests that they were in danger not only of ceasing to assemble together, that's the occasion in part for his exhortation. But they were falling back into former patterns within Judaism. 
They were going backward. They were leaving behind that new and better reality of God's covenant grace shown them by the blood of Jesus. And it's suggested by some commentators that perhaps the reason for that was at this time in history, in the first century of the Christian era, Jews or Judaism was granted by imperial Rome, the Roman Empire, permission to assemble and not to participate in the worship of Caesar, the emperor, or in the temples of the Greeks and Romans. They were exempted from idol worship. But no such privilege was extended to believers in Jesus Christ. And so they were, even as he puts it elsewhere, not yet having suffered to the point of the shedding of blood, but though they had lost their possession, some of them, early on in the course, It appeared, and some even argue that the language at the end of verse 25, so much the more as you see the day approaching, I don't think this is entirely correct, that the day approaching may well be an oblique, implicit reference to a heightened and increased persecution of those who profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole whole point of it is, this pastor, this author, the inspired author of Hebrews, is exhorting the congregation to do something because he's increasingly aware of some trends among them that were rather concerning. In some ways, not unlike what is true for other reasons in our day. I read an article, a very sobering article not long ago, that described a study that detailed the stages whereby people slip, slide, not necessarily intentionally, away from Christ, and they're one and the same, You haven't one without the other. Away from the body of Christ, the church. It starts with, well, sometimes I assemble. When they assemble, sometimes I don't. Starts small and it begins to grow. And then they say, well, the congregation of which I'm a member is much too disciplined and People pay attention too much to other people's business, and they, they encourage me to come back to the congregation, not to absent yourself from its assemblies. It's not just its public worship, but other forms of fellowship and community within the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, I'm going to go to a church where I can be anonymous. Nobody knows my name. We haven't even got a membership roster. And the last thing you could ever expect is that a member of the congregation would trouble themselves by saying, we've missed you at our Bible study on Wednesday morning. 
Or God forbid, the elders would come calling and say, we, we haven't seen you of late. Is there a problem? What can we say, do to encourage you? Calling upon them from house to house. And then, one thing leads to another. They're done. And it's an article about something that missiologists today call becoming unchurched. And if you haven't been paying attention, congregation, we live in a day in our country where the number of those who are in the category of unchurched has grown exponentially in one generation. We're almost at a point when the youngest generation in this country, there are more who answer to the question, what's your religious affiliation? None! Than there are who say, well, I'm a practicing Christian, or I'm a practicing Jew, or I'm a Muslim, or whatever their religious conviction. I don't say that to to uh, discourage you in any way. I say it by way of illustration. This is one of the reasons the author of Hebrews, and I did it myself, but I did it mimicking the author of Hebrews. I used the language of a race. Did you notice as we were reading at verse 36 in chapter 10, he says, for you have need of endurance. Anyone who's running track or who has engaged in an athletic context, there are all kinds of athletic metaphors in the book of Hebrews. One of the most outstanding is in chapter 12, where he begins this way. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, what? The race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I don't know if you've seen any runners lately in the Olympics who strap on all kinds of heavy weights on their legs. That would be a great way to to run quickly and fast and certainly if it were long distance, finish the course. So the author of Hebrews, the occasion, that's my point, of the words of exhortation here in verses 23 and 25, is his perception of a disconcerting pattern. Literally, the word is ethos that is developing among them that will not end well in terms of any expectation that they will have that perseverance and endurance, that they'll put away every weight that weights them down so as not to finish the race that they've begun. Quite clearly, he's not thinking of the Christian life as a flowery bed of ease, as a stroll in the park. He wouldn't tell you to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured what? The cross. Suffering a shame. 
what makes you think as a Christian who belongs to Christ that it will be otherwise for you. The Christian life, Kevin DeYoung is right. When it's all said and done, is a slog. Now, having said all of that, you can understand why he says what he does in verses 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Translations are all over the place. Stir up, some of them have the word arouse. An older translation has the word provoke. It's actually literally the word, we have it in English, paroxysm. You say, well, what in the world is that, Dr. Venema? Well, that's not a kind of a gentle, excuse me, may I have your attention, please, if you will? It's more like you get in someone's face. Now, not to be obnoxious, but you stop at no point in your effort to get someone's attention. And what's the point? Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And by the way, the word assembling of ourselves together, it's literally synagoguing. And these Hebrew Christians knew exactly what he was talking about. Stop absenting yourself from the synagogue. What's the synagogue? That's the place where God's people, the Jews, gather for the reading of the Word of God. What did our Lord do on the Sabbath? He went to the synagogue. He read the Word. He listened to its teaching. He gathered with the household of God's people. so also the church to whom the author of Hebrews is writing. Don't let yourself lazily slip into the practice of not synagoguing with the people of God so as to provide an opportunity to encourage one another, to help each other, to pray for one another, to urge each other on in the Christian life unto the end. I don't know how you think of the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day, not only for worship, as I said earlier, but for other purposes, adult Sunday school, various forms of community life and activities, Bible studies, prayer meetings, you can fill in the blanks, all kinds of ways in which we can meet with each other, assemble together. And why? Because it's our lifeblood. I know it's a little trite, but you've seen the little expression, a family that prays together stays together. That's true for church families, too. If you don't care about these people, then sure, you won't come when we are nourished together in the Word of God. 
like a child in a family who, when the dinner bell rings, says, ah, I don't need that dinner. I'm going to go to Culver's. <laughs> Never mind these brothers and sisters of mine, these parents, this family gathering. I've got better things to do. The really interesting thing here is this. In terms of that athletic metaphor, I don't know if any of you as parents have any children that were ever in cross-country meets, ran track and were involved in not sprints or short little 200 or 100 yard dashes, but a real track meet. What do you do if you're a parent of a child like that who's running cross-country? Well, it's kind of odd. You station yourself along the course at various points. It's really an interesting sport because ultimately you don't really care whether your child comes in first. What you really care about is that they finish. Because if you think about it, what race is worth running if you don't finish. And so you meet them as they're they're beginning to lag. They're beginning to grow weary. They're beginning to say, I can't do it. (laughs) What's your purpose? You say, come on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Dig down deeper. There was a marathon in the city of Chicago two years ago, and there was this very poignant, in this modern context, it was especially poignant, picture of a runner who fell upon his face about a hundred yards short of the finish line, 26 and a half miles, and two men in blue, peace officers, policemen, picked him up, each one under the arm, and they brought him across the finish line. Sometimes that way with Christians. Your poor brother and sister is down and out. They're about to give up. What if no one calls upon them? What if no one picks them up? What if no one prays for them? What if no one even knows their name? This is a beautiful exhortation of the author of Hebrews to his congregation. Before you let loose your profession, before you slip, slide away, before you abandon the course, the race upon which you have embarked, consider, take stock. In what ways can we stir each other up? By not forsaking the assembling of each other together, as is the habit of some. You know, I saw not long ago, in the city of San Francisco, there are all kinds of people who commit suicide on the Golden Gate Bridge. And one of the suicide, they leave suicide notes often. And among the notes of one such person who committed suicide was this very, very moving statement. If someone smiles at me on the way, I'm not going to go through with it. Now, what's that got to do with this text? 
it's just another way of reminding you how important a human face, a kind word, a coming alongside a brother or a sister, even as we assemble on the Lord's Day from week to week. This passage says, among its purposes, is not simply that God be praised, that's foremost, but so we can help each other, be an encouragement to one another. So, if you see a brother or a sister flagging in the course, don't gossip about them. Pray for them. Talk to them. Visit them. Not just the elder's job, not just the pastor's job. It's a family's responsibility. Brothers and sisters, they care about each other. They know each other's names. I'm not making the suggestion in any way that a church needs to be small or large. But there needs to be within congregations, particularly when they become large, an even greater effort that no one becomes anonymous, gets left behind, is of no interest to the fellowship. The word of exhortation of the preacher here in the book of Hebrews is, if God in Christ, by his blood, has brought you into his family, become your father through the work of your elder brother, indwelt his people by the Spirit, whereby you together with one voice have one father, then you are... If you're going to continue in the course, if you're going to make progress in the Christian life, if you're going to grow in grace and knowledge, there's no easy way to do it. It's it's a race. It requires discipline. It requires practices and disciplines like assembling together. There's a great French philosopher and enemy of the Christian faith, Voltaire, who once said, if If I can have the Christians' gatherings on the Lord's Day, if I can take those away from them, and others as well, I guarantee we'll wipe the church off the face of the earth within 100 years. Now, he was an atheist, an opponent of the church, but he had it exactly right. Exactly right. So let us consider... By God's grace, congregation, how we can stir each other up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another. So much the more, as you see the day of Christ coming, approaching. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. Help us to recognize our need for each other, our need to assemble, our need to stir each other up, to encourage each other, to come alongside those who need our help, our encouragement, our admonition, our love as a congregation. Help us to recognize that without the fellowship, without the communion, 
without the assembly of your people together, even as was true of the Hebrews, we might very quickly fall away, swerve to the side, fail to continue steadfast to the end. And store us up, therefore, Father, to consider how we can be an encouragement to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.